All right, let's read it together. Romans chapter 8, verse 18 and following. Let's stand together because it, you might be here a while. <laughs> I hope the roast isn't burning. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. For I consider, I reason up, I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revelation of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoptions as sons, the redemptions of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Not hope that is seen is not hope, now, hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. And significance. It's related personal, social, and cultural behaviors. It's remedies, it's management, and its uses. To my knowledge, the Christian worldview is the only worldview that I know of that finds meaning and purpose and use in suffering. When I think of suffering, I think of a prism. I think of a white light shining through that prism. It's beamed through it, and then it refracts a collection of various colors, almost like a peacock's tail. That's the variegated color of suffering. As a matter of fact, in James chapter 1 and verse 2, listen to how various translations translate James's word for suffering. The old King James, diverse temptations, manifold temptations, like a manifold on your car with many prongs on it, various trials. Whenever you are enveloped in or encounter trials of any sort or to fall into various temptations, that's a lot for one word, isn't it? Various tests. Finally, I love this one. My friends, be glad even if you have a lot of trouble. So, there are several ways to define suffering, but my favorite, sophisticated, way of defining suffering, a wonderful translation of the Greek, pain. It hurts. As a matter of fact, C.S. Lewis said, pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. But he was also quick to add, no doubt, 
Pain as God's megaphone is an instrument. It may lead us to final and unrepented rebellion. So whether you're suffering this morning from emotional, psychological, spiritual, or physical pain, suffering hurts. And we all have to figure out how are we going to cope with it. It comes down, ladies and gentlemen, to two choices. The godly, spiritually-minded choice, and all the rest. Yet coping with pain on our own terms and our natural minds it can result in a long and lonely fall, like the fall off a very steep precipice with a devastating stop where it's pitch black and very lonely. But it doesn't have to be that way. Although suffering does traumatize us, it shatters us emotionally, drives us to take irrational measures for relief, there is a pathway to right suffering. I mean, even the Spirit of Christ was in the Old Testament prophets searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ was in them, right, testifying to the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. So, part of the adoption process of our becoming sons and daughters of God, from our spiritual birth to when we're glorified, just like on our tombstone, there's 19, January 4, 1960, there'll be something on the other side, but in the middle is going to be a what, Phil? A dash. And what we're going through right now in our spiritual journey is the dash. From the new birth to when we're glorified. And how we handle things in that dash makes all the difference in the world. We cannot take alternative routes to our trials, our troubles, our temptation, our testing. Instead, and this is the proposition that I want to get across to you today, we need a spiritual mindedness to endure what Paul later calls in this passage the now time. Cindy, uh, my darling South African wife, has these various uses for now. She's got, I'll do that now. Then she says, I'll do that just now. And then I'll do that now, now. And they all have different time durations of when they're going to happen. But, and I'm not going to even try to remember them. I just know that, you know, now is like, you know, in a little bit, just now, maybe not quite as long. And the now, now is like right now. So this is for us now, now. How do we endure suffering in the now now? How is that possible? Well, Paul lays out a pathway for our suffering in four jam-packed propositions in the passage that I've set before you this morning. Now, I am not going to explain everything in these verses. It's not my intent. I have lifted out, out of a chunk, four propositions, and I hope they are of practical help to you. That's, that's my burden this morning. It's not to tease out everything. I couldn't do it if I wanted to. I certainly don't have time. What I would urge you to do this morning is listen to those propositions, then go home this afternoon and read Romans 8 for yourself. And you can figure out the details yourself. So proposition number one, it is regarding the relative value of suffering. The relative value of suffering. And when I read these to you, if it doesn't sound familiar, these are my own translations of verse 18 and the rest of the verses. Paul writes, I count, I consider, 
I reckon that the current sufferings in the now time isn't of comparable value to the coming glory. It isn't of comparable value to the coming glory. The word here is a very strong and vivid word for suffering. It is clear. It's pain. It hurts. Now, we can split value into two things, two different ways to split it. One, we can split value into instrumental value, and we can split it into intrinsic value. So let's first consider the instrumental value of suffering. There are two experts here, Peter and Paul. Paul writes Philippians 1.29, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. We like that calling to believe. We don't really like that calling to suffer, do we? That's part of it. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9 talks about this going through these trials, and they've come on to us to prove the genuineness of our faith of greater worth than gold. There's instrumental value in suffering. Romans 5, verses 3 and 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So when I'm enduring suffering properly with a spiritual mind, and I see that endurance in my life, I see that hope coming forth in my life, hey, that gives me hope that the Spirit of God really is truly working in me, that I am a son of God. I am a daughter of God. That's one of the instrumental values of suffering. Now, it's just part of sanctification, folks. Just to put it in a nutshell, suffering is part of our sanctification. It's, it's the way God conforms us to the image of Christ. Sanctification can be described as an inward spiritual process whereby God puts us in a position of living our experiential day-to-day -day life more like what we truly are in Christ. Romans 5, Romans 8, having been justified. So, there is some intrinsic value in suffering. As a matter of fact, Paul says there is infinite intrinsic value to suffering. So there's instrumental value, but there's infinite intrinsic value to suffering. And that is the value of our future glorification. It utterly, our suffering now, utterly compare, uh, pales in comparison. So, think of a bookkeeper. Paul is using an accounting term here. So, you have a bookkeeper. I remember when I was a boy back in Tennessee, uh, you know, somebody may not have a cash register. They'd have a pencil. They'd put it behind their ear. They'd have a little book. They'd do their accounting. They'd they, you know, they'd, they'd wet their pencil, you know, it's all about the head and the mouth, think, you know, and then they'd, they'd think. This is an accounting term, so Paul is saying, look, I add up all of the suffering in this life in one column, and then I look at my eternal weight of glory, that glorification in the other column, and that suffering in this life, zero, worthless relatively little value, comparatively so, to the glorification. 
It has some instrumental value. It's the pathway to glory, but relative value, no comparison. Does that make sense? No comparison to the glory that shall follow. So I say on a Christian worldview, there is value in suffering. But what, what does an atheist have to say to me about suffering? What does a non-Christian worldview have to say to me about suffering? Well, if they are consistent naturalists, believe that everything in reality ultimately reduces to matter and is predetermined by natural law, all they can say is what? Deal with it. Deal with it. I mean, it's just the result of hardened, impersonal determinism that was etched in, predetermined, billions of years ago in the natural law, and not a thing you can do about it. Don't try to make sense of it. Don't try to figure it out. As a matter of fact, what Dawkins would say, Richard Dawkins would say, is those are just selfish genes inside of a bunch of lumbering robots. And there's not a thing you can do about it. You're just a tiny speck on a third rock from the sun with no purpose, no meaning, and just living hopelessly. And when you die, you die like a dog. Pretty encouraging, right? Well, if there's no meaning in suffering, why are you telling me there's no meaning in suffering? Am I supposed to think you mean something by that? Albert Camus, another existentialist, said, Since existence itself has no meaning, we must learn to bear an irresolvable emptiness. So I really don't think that a natural mind can begin to comprehend what Paul is asking us to believe, that there is value in suffering. We have to pray for the grace and faith simply to reckon it up, to count it to be so, even when it doesn't feel like it. Number two, our counterpart in suffering. Creation, verse 22. For we know that all the creation is groaning together, these together verbs you can't really see in English, groaning together and greatly suffering together until the now. So Paul personifies creation here. He says, creation is groaning together. It's in suffering. It's in pain. And why does he do that? Why does he personify creation? Well, it can give us a new perspective on things. We can relate to it better when things are given human characteristics. So I've, I've thought about this. I'm like, okay, uh, how would I say this? How do I account for suffering? And here's the way I account for it. Suffering supervenes on a cursed creation. Now, what do I mean by that? So when something occurs later than a specified, a specified or implied event or action, it typically changes the situation. And that is exactly what we have. A good creation. Adam sinned. God cursed it. And so now, as a result of that curse, there is suffering. So the curse of creation changed the situation of all human experience from Genesis chapter 3 and onward. Let, let's think of it this way. Let's think of natural laws. There, there are four big natural laws. There's the law of gravitation, the law of electromagnetism. There's a weak force and a strong force. 
They exist. They're universal. They're not sure how they all work together, but they exist. They're undeniable. And, and it's so suffering is a little bit like that in the spiritual realm. It exists. It's almost like it's a universal law. It's part and parcel of a fallen creation. And we don't like to think of it that way, but it just is the fact. None of us would deny the law of gravity. None of us would deny, d deny the electromagnetic field, would we? And in the same way, we can't deny the fact that suffering is part of our existence. Everybody's existence, but for Christians especially, we have been called to suffer. That's, that's hard. That's really difficult. So there's, there's value in suffering. We have a, a counterpart, a companion, companion in suffering. That's the creation. It's, it's groaning. It's suffering like a mother in labor. And because we're part of that creation, we too groan and suffer with creation. Number three, what about our helper in suffering? God the Spirit. Look at verse 26. And likewise. Well, likewise what? Well, likewise, we know, we know the Spirit is also joining together with us and helping us in our weaknesses, our incapacity, our limitation. So the Spirit is our helper in suffering. Suffering has some value, right? But the Spirit enables us and helps us in the times of our suffering. Now, how, how is that possible? I totally get this uh, weakness and inability. I know what it feels like. There was a period in my life where I couldn't possibly, possibly account as Paul says, reason up. Consider it to be so that these truths in Romans chapter 8 were true for me. There's no way I could pray for grace. Because I couldn't talk. It hurt too badly to talk. I suffered mental anguish. Emotional anguish great financial loss, abuse as a child, emotional abuse, spiritual abuse, other kinds of abuse that I'll not talk about here at Mixed Company. Addiction several times because I chose to deal with suffering the wrong way. Loss of 20 years of academic preparation, 20 years of research and writing, gone. Ministry, family. But you know what? I've never lost a child. I've never had a doctor look at me and say, it's cancer. I never lived like my buddy Andy McAuliffe back when I was in grad school working at a factory. 15 years with a migraine headache, not one day of relief. I've never suffered like that. What I can tell you is this. 
There is a wrong way to handle it. And there's a right way to handle it. If you're here this morning, you know, I don't care what your pain is. When, when, when the bully comes into your sandbox and kicks dirt in your face, it hurts. You know, maybe you haven't been through some of these things I've enumerated. Maybe you're not suffering like the next guy here. But you know what Scripture says when we suffer as a body of Christ? We all suffer together. And I, I just want to urge you, if you're here this morning, whatever your pain is, I, I am asking you to please try by the grace of God and by faith to reckon these truths to be so. There is value in this suffering, eternal value in it. You're not suffering because of any of your own sin. God is not taking it out on you. You're suffering because that is endemic to a fallen world. And please know, whether you can feel it or not, the Spirit of God will help you. He comes alongside us. I was reading uh, Tom Oden's Systematic Theology the other day. And he has a great quote in here from St. Basil. I love Odin because he calls on all these church fathers. The scene of the Spirit's work of grace is amid the most inward dimensions of human consciousness. There is nothing too subtle or dense for the Spirit to penetrate, or too sinful to, for the Spirit to cleanse, or too weary for the Spirit to refresh, too dark for the Spirit to understand. Or too dead for the Spirit to breathe life into again. Basil goes on and says, The Spirit strives with us, prays for us, and groans with us. Hallelujah. And that brings me to my final point. The goal of our suffering. Paul writes... Notice all these verbs are cerebral. He uses one accounting verb and then he uses, he uses the verb oida. It's a, more intellectual than gnosko, experiential verb. So, so he's reasoning things up. It, it's very cerebral here. It's like, we, I know these things. <laughs> They're true. I don't always feel them when I'm going through the throes of suffering, but I know they're true theologically. I know they're true. And I know that we need the grace to reckon these to be true. So he says again, we know. We know that all things, including our suffering, are working together unto good for those who love God, for those who are being called according to God's purpose, that's for believers, for those who are not under condemnation for their sin. Now, we use Romans 8, 28 a lot, do we not? But really, the context of this text is suffering. I can't think of a harder time in life than going through the crucible of suffering, whatever it is you suffer, and think, you know what? God's using this for good. Well, it sure doesn't feel like it, does it? But nonetheless, it's true. I mean, think about the grace in this, folks. Think about the grace in this. When we are so weak 
and emotionally devastated by the struggles of life and our suffering when we don't even know the words to utter, that God utters the words for us by His Spirit according to His will and makes it turn out for good. Hallelujah. Hey. Is that not gospel? Is that not great news? Let me close uh, a couple of thoughts here. John Stott has a couple of good comments here. Number one, we know that God works or is at work in our lives. He ceaselessly, energetically, and purposefully is active on our behalf. You're not alone, friends. Two, God is at work for the good of his people. The good, which is the goal of all his providential dealings with us, is our ultimate well-being, our final salvation. Third, God works for our good in all things. All things must conclude the suffering of verse 17 and the groanings of verse 23. Number four, God works in all things for the good of those who love him. Fifthly, those who love God are also described as those who have been called according to his purpose. Life is not the random mess which it may sometimes appear. We are not just lumbering robots on a tiny speck of dust in a vast and purposeless universe. You know, I just thank God you're here. If you're hurting, if you're suffering, this is the place to be. With people who love you and who suffer with you and under the sacramental preaching of God's word where God doles out grace and at this table where God gives you grace, this is where you need to be. Don't ever run from it. You know, Satan is the master distorter. He will distort something God intends to use to conform you to the image of Christ. This passage, when you're suffering, or maybe if you're not suffering, totally counterintuitive. Totally. Satan attempts us to respond to the glorious truths like those of Romans chapter 8 with this. Hath God said? Instead of, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Or, Lord, though you slay me, yet will I trust in you. Satan doesn't want to hear that from your mouth. On a practical note, don't suffer alone. If you need help, get help. I suffered alone for months. I needed to be in a hospital somewhere. I wanted a nanosecond of relief from absolute mental torture. Don't suffer in silence. Don't suffer alone. 
reach out for help. Don't set aside the truths of Romans 8. There is great value in your suffering, in a way. But it doesn't even compare to the glory that will follow. And I know that sounds like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth. If you cannot faith it, if you can't feel it, if you can't pray about it, if you can't ask God for help, don't worry about it. The Spirit's praying for you if you are a child of Christ. If you're here this morning and you are not a Christian, if you are not in Christ, if you have never asked Christ to be your Lord and Savior, if you've never trusted in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ as the only hope to remedy your sin problem that you inherited from Adam and this whole creation, I really don't know what to say to you other than to repent of your sin and believe in Jesus. Because only then will this life and its suffering make any sense whatsoever. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord.